Welcome to The Markets, Dateline, Chicago, Friday, March 20. Hello again, Orion Samuelson with you with the cast of characters this week for our weekly get-together to take a look at the market activity and how do you describe it. You describe it as being chaotic and up and down and sideways and whatever other way it could go, but it has indeed been a challenging week in the equity markets as well as the agricultural markets. And I have to say, agricultural markets did better than the stock market this week. I saw a lot more green on my screens on the agricultural commodities than I did red. So let's begin with a look at the stock market as Wall Street wrapped up its worst week since October of 2008. With the Dow and the S&P 500 sliding more than 4% today as tough restrictions by New York and California to try to contain the spread of the coronavirus fueled worries about damage to the economy. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo early today ordered all non-essential workers to stay home following on the heels of California's unprecedented statewide stay-at-home order issued late Thursday. And the moves by two of the most populous states in the United States will affect some 40 million people. Also, federal authorities this week moved to close the borders with Canada and Mexico, with more than 12,000 cases having been confirmed in the United States as of today. One analyst said the equity markets are still trying to get a handle on how bad the economy is going to be, and I think news of entire states being closed probably qualifies as very much negative. He said it affects a lot of economic activity and a lot of businesses. In early trade, the market briefly attempted to build on Thursday's gains as global policymakers turned on the taps to prop up financial markets that are reeling from weeks of heavy selling that ended Wall Street's record 13-year bull run. The benchmark S&P 500 is down more than 32% since its record-closing high on February 19. So investors are now counting on further stimulus over the next few days as the Senate mulls a $1 trillion package that would include direct financial help for Americans. Another analyst from Charlotte, North Carolina, said the bottom line here is the market is clearly actively anticipating the fiscal stimulus plan. It's almost like we're going to continue to be in these volatile swings until we get a little more clarity on how large that plan is. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 913 points, or 4.5%, to end the day and the week at 19,174. The S&P 500 lost 104 points, or 4 and a third percent, to 2,304.92. And the NASDAQ Composite dropped 271 points for the day, that's 3 and three quarter percent, 
ending the day and the week at sixty a at six thousand eight seventy nine. All three major indices registered their biggest weekly decline since October of 2008. Although the CBO volatility index, that's Wall Street's fear gauge, ended the day down at 66.04 in what some investors saw as a sign that selling may subside. A Reuters poll of economists suggested the global economy was already in recession, while analysts at U.S. stock market index operator S&P Global said volatility across geographies and asset classes was at record highs. And then to add to the choppy trading today, quadruple witching with investors unwinding positions in futures and options contracts before their expiration. AT&T tumbled 8.7% as the wireless carrier said the outbreak might have a material impact on financial results and canceled a $4 billion share repurchase agreement. And the airline sector rose 2.4% after losing more than half its value since late February. So that's the day's activity to end the week, but uh, let's look at some of the things that happened during the week. The Fed continued to roll out emergency support today as it enhanced efforts with other major central banks to ease the global dollar funding crunch. Backstop to market essential for U.S. state and local government finances and ramped up its purchases of mortgage-backed securities. And in a coordinated move, the Fed said it would enhance the permanent U.S. dollar liquidity swap line arrangements it has with the Bank of Canada, Bank of England, and the Bank of Japan, and the European Central Bank, and the Swiss National Bank to further ease the dollar funding stress abroad. The Fed said it would increase the frequency of seven-day maturity operations from weekly to daily starting March 23rd and continuing at least through the end of April. The central banks will also continue to hold weekly 84-day maturity operations. And the announcement helped drive a brief weakening of the dollar, but by mid-afternoon Friday in New York, the greenback was retracing that move. The dollar index, which tracks the U.S. currency against a basket of major trading partner currencies, including those from the other participating central banks, was down 23 hundredths of a percent on the day, just fractionally below a three-year high hit on Thursday. And in a separate move, the Fed said today it would extend its liquidity support into the municipal debt market, the main funding market for U.S. states, local governments, and official authorities such as transit systems. Globally, well, the things that affected the U.S. market affected the global market activity as well. 
As Wall Street retreated today, the uh, rattling investors who had welcomed this week's fiscal and monetary measures to counter the shock of the coronavirus appeals of uh, helped revive the safe haven appeal of bonds and gold. Gold rose more than 3% at one point as it regained a bit of its flight to safety luster, and the yield on U.S. Treasuries fell as emergency measures aimed at stabilizing financial markets briefly took hold after days of volatility. And then there's the oil market. Let me share with you two headlines. One headline that came out March 19th, and the other one that came out today, March 20th. The March 19 headline, U.S. oil reverses losses and posts the largest one-day gain on record. But then the March 20th headline, oil falls for fourth week. U.S. crude posts the steepest weekly loss since 1991. So U.S. crude tumbled 10.7% today posted its biggest weekly decline since the 1991 Gulf War as the epidemic dried up global demand and, as officials in Washington said, an envoy would head to Saudi Arabia to deal with fallout of a Saudi-Russia oil price war. U.S. crude prices notched a weekly loss of 29%, the steepest since the outset of the U.S.-Iraq Gulf War in 1991. Brent crude dropped by 20%, and both benchmarks have dropped now for four straight weeks. On Friday, the Brent crude futures fell $1.49, or 5.2%, and U.S. crude futures for April fell $2.69, or 10.7%, to settle at $22.53 a barrel. I think many of us have lived through the uh, progress on oil prices uh, from estimates of hitting $100 a barrel, uh, but I don't remember what the low was that uh, some of the oil traders were expecting. But anyway... Saudi Arabia said it would push its production to a record 12.3 million barrels per day, and it booked shipments to send oil around the globe, refusing entreaties to rein in output, and U.S. elected officials have urged the Trump administration to get involved. So that's what we look back at as to what's happened this week. And uh, what's going to happen in the week ahead? Well, who knows? We'll have to watch the uh, story on the uh, markets on a daily basis. And uh, I can't remember ever seeing weeks like this in my market reports on radio because they jump by major numbers and uh, they don't seem to come back the way they should. So... We're going to have to keep an eye on that. And uh, looking ahead to next week, yeah, there are some earnings reports that are due to come out. And uh, again, they'll all be impacted by what we're watching happen in the marketplace. So uh, keep an eye on next week 
as we watch some of the activities. Not much in the way of earnings reports are due, but uh, we do have things that we're going to have to watch. So uh, that's a look at the stock market. Uh, Might mention the fact that a couple of reports uh, out this week showed that home sales surged to a 13-year high in February, but the housing market recovery likely to be derailed by the pandemic. And uh, weekly jobless claims hit a two-and-a-half-year high as mid-Atlantic factory activity plunged. And, of course, we know the travel industry is hurting. Shares in U.S. airlines fell sharply uh, midweek after Washington proposed a rescue package of $50 billion in loans, but no grants as the industry had requested to help address the financial impact from the pandemic. Largest U.S. airlines, American, Delta, and United, drastically reducing flights, parking jets, raising capital, and cutting costs with layoffs, including uh, costs of executive pay as part of the measures to save cash as air travel demand takes an unexpected and unprecedented downturn. I know in my case... I had a flight scheduled from Chicago to Phoenix, but my wife said, no thanks. We're not going to get on an airplane with the coronavirus situation the way it is. So we didn't make the trip. Well, there's more to talk about, uh, including agricultural markets. And uh, Mike Pearson, our farm broadcaster friend, We'll be discussing the agricultural market situation with Jim McCormick. Stay with us as we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. We are going to be talking markets with Mr. Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Jim, it has been a volatile week, to put it mildly. Let's talk grains right off the bat. We've seen corn selling off to the start of this week. Maybe things are turning around. What's your thoughts here on the corn market? Well, what happened in the corn market this week is the crude oil is the caper. We had the crude oil crash pretty much because the Russians as well as the Saudis are really ramping up production at a time they need to be backing it off with the economy just really put it bluntly cratering at the moment till we get this stimulus. That brought our Bob down to the lowest price pretty much ever. And which then is it, unleaded gasoline. Which is un, our bear, unleaded gasoline. So what's happened now in the last 24, 48 hours in the grain market specifically, the ethanol industry just got clobbered by this. And as this ethanol industry realized, we're not going to sell gas. One estimate we have suggests we're going to lose about 12% of demand for RBOB in March, 40% in April, 20% in May. What that does, when you calculate that back into potential corn demand, that's about 310 million less bushels of corn being consumed if those estimates are right. So plain and simple, as that kind of made it, that estimate made its way through the system, the market's 
broke hard. You're seeing bids got pulled out of these ethanol plants. I'm sure you've heard a lot of customers out there right now are realizing their ethanol plants are going to be taking bids, and we're hearing a lot of ethanol plants talking about going down. Do you think this is going to get reflected in the USDA's supply and demand estimates come early April, or will they be a little more hesitant to update those numbers? I believe they're going to have to put some of it in. I mean, I think you can't deny when you just drive around, maybe not in rural America, but you drive around in the in the suburbia of Chicago, there's just not as much traffic. I mean, people are doing what the government's asking. They are staying home, and that is having an impact on the miles driven, gas, and the ethanol. So yes, they're going to have to adjust for that, I believe. Well, let's talk soybeans a little bit. We've seen soybeans really be back and forth and back and forth, 10-cent ranges some days. What's it going to take for the soybean market to stabilize? I think what's going to take for the beans to stabilize, plain and simple, is demand. Um, you know, we're not, we pretty much shipped all the beans we're going to sell to China as is at this point in time. They have not come back in. They say they're going to come back in. We need that to happen. I'm optimistic they will come back in. It makes sense with this virus. You know, it's affecting everybody, not just us around the world. It makes sense for the Chinese to buy from everybody in case one of the legit, one of these chains kind of gets tied up and they shut down a port or something due to the virus. So that combined with the phase one deal that they cut with Trump, I do think they'll make a good faith effort to buy into it. So if we can get a stabilization of it, it will help. The one thing that's hurting the beans also right now is the currency. The U.S. dollar is exploding higher as the risk-off mentality sweeps the earth. On the same time, the Brazilian currency continues to drop. So that's keeping us un... We're not competitively priced at the moment. But like I said, I think China's going to start saying, hey, look, we got to diversify our supply chains. Let's buy some U.S. beans. The dollar has been ripping. It's been climbing like crazy. What is driving that right now? Right now, that's just pretty much as everyone's liquidating on a mass margin call. You had a lot of sovereign wealth funds we're long everything and they're just trying to go to cash until we find out how bad this virus is and what it's actually going to do to the world's economy cash seems to be where it wants to be and right now that's forcing the dollar up which has a negative impact on the u.s exporter because it makes our products more expensive it does and one of the places we have seen product get more expensive or at least stay competitively priced is retail beef prices that hasn't necessarily transitioned down to the producer talk a little bit about what's happening in the meat markets right now on the beef side well right now on the beef side point is simple if you just go to any grocery store they've been cleaned out we've had a change with this stay at home trying to control the virus Everyone's kind of a little bit of panic, a little bit of just, I want to start buying it. So that is just cleaned out. So what's happened is the Packers are making an absolute killing. That is the reality. It's not being passed on to the feeder, unfortunately. The Packers are making four or $500 a head. Now, it's nice. The futures are trading around, 100, uh, around 90, 95 cents. The cash is around 110. I would like to hope that maybe the Packers will pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is the country is going through a lot. We're asking a lot of the country to protect some of the vulnerable right now. So the hope would be that maybe these packers will pay up because the beef industry, the cattle guy specifically, he is getting beating up. He is losing money. There's a lot of profit to be passed along, so hopefully that will come down the line. How long do you think it'll take before the packer has to pay up? Well, that's going to be interesting. I mean, the real dynamic is what happens now in this beef industry, as well as pork and chicken. As the consumer kind of fills up his gross, his freezer, the question is, will he back off again? The fact of the matter is we just don't know. We're a little bit dynamic, new dynamics. You know, We're kind of set up for a lot of people to go out to eat. They're no longer going out to eat. So some of that supply chain that used to go to the retail or go to the Restaurant. Restaurants are now coming into the retail sector, so it's going to take a little bit of time. I want to stress, there's not going to be a shortage of food out there. There is plenty of cattle. There's plenty of pork. It's just a matter of keeping stuff in stock, plain and simple. We're just not used to people 
buying as much protein as they are right now. We've been waiting for China to step in and buy a lot more pork. We've seen pork get a lot more affordable for the Chinese, despite the rise in the dollar. When are they going to step in and make those purchases, or will they? I think they will. I mean, part of the problem is they had massive logistics issues. The fact of the matter, this virus, they're a couple, you know, they're a month, month and a half in front of us. They've kind of ramped down. They're not getting new cases, which is great. Hopefully, that's where we're at in a couple weeks and months. As they start getting their logistics working, I think they'll come in and buy the pork. The fact of the matter is they've emptied their their freezers to keep their people fed. The fe- and I believe they're going to have to come in and buy. They want to restock that. I mean, the reality is this, folks. There's a very good shot that this virus is going to die down in the summer and come back into the winter. That's what happened in the Spanish flu. If you're the Chinese, I think you want to make sure you have those restocked. God forbid we've going to have to go through this a second time around. So I think you will see that demand come in over the next six months, and that will be good for the pork producer. Fantastic. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Jim McCormick from agmarket.net. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here here to help. While farmers are getting ready to start the planting season, and some already have in various parts of the country, we're trying to figure out how much will get planted this year. And on March 31st, the last day of the month, the USDA will be out with its planting intentions report. But as is always the case, before we get the government reports, we do hear from some of the private reports. One of those reports that we look forward to every year at this time comes from Allendale. That's the analytical company for agricultural trade based in McHenry, Illinois. And they came out this week with their estimate on plantings in 2020. And according to the survey, farmers are expected to plant 94,631,000 acres of corn in 2020 and 83,740,000,000 acres of soybeans, according to the annual survey conducted by the commodity brokerage and analytical firm. Projected corn plantings would be above the latest USDA forecast for 94 million acres and would certainly be above the 89.7 million acres planted in 2019. The projected soybean plantings would fall below the latest USDA forecast for 85 million acres and below the 76.1 million acres planted to soybeans in 2019. The survey of farmers in 30 states conducted between March 2nd and March 13th. Allendale projected all U.S. wheat plantings at 44,465,000 acres, slightly below the USDA's forecast for 45 million and below the 2019 planted area for wheat of 45.2 million acres. And finally, Allendale estimated U.S. winter wheat acres at 30 
1,914,000 acres. Other spring wheat acreage was seen at 12,441,000 acres, and Durham wheat plantings were seen at 1,110,000 acres. That would be down from the 229,000 that were planted in 2019. So it'll be interesting to see how the Allendale survey comes out with the USDA planting intentions survey that we'll be getting a little bit later, well, at the end of this month. And some of the other ag news calls for farm debt, loan relief growing as the coronavirus is spreading. U.S. livestock producers urging the Department of Agriculture to let them defer or adjust payments for government loans as the virus hits the already struggling farm economy. The American Farm Bureau Federation's request was made in a March 17th letter outlining a wide swath of concerns ranging from access to farm labor to supply chain worries of the fast-spreading virus. And many U.S. economic sectors, of course, have sought federal government relief. Farm Bureau President Zibby Duval said for many livestock producers, USDA Farm Service Agency loan payments are due now. Can USDA consider temporary relief such as deferment or loan adjustment? to help producers respond to the impact the pandemic is having on normal marketing and prices. A cattle group also asked Secretary Perdue for a coronavirus bailout. Using the same pool of funds, the Trump administration tapped for nearly $30 billion in aid related to the U.S.-China trade war. In short, Funds and programs are needed to ensure that cattle producers and feeders that are experiencing excessive price losses are provided immediate relief, according to the United States Cattlemen's Association letter to Purdue. April live cattle futures have dropped 12% this month on the Mercantile Exchange and are down 25% since the start of the year. And late Monday, the Farm Credit Administration said lenders in the government-sponsored farm credit system should begin working with agricultural borrowers, including maybe restructuring debt obligations for those whose operations are being affected by the coronavirus. And uh, the lenders can extend loan payment terms or ease new loan documentations for certain borrowers, according to Glenn Smith, who is the uh, board chairman of the nation's regulator for the farm credit lenders. System regulations have given lenders considerable flexibility to provide relief to borrowers affected by covid Dash 19. And uh, what about what happens to agricultural products once they are harvested, whether they be livestock or produce? 
Well, we heard from uh, the CEO of Tyson Foods this week. Demand for U.S. meat at grocery stores will likely exceed supplies for at least another week, according to the chief executive of Tyson Foods, as the coronavirus pandemic fuels panic buying among shoppers. And food manufacturers say that overall meat supplies are ample to feed the millions of Americans who are hunkering down in their homes after state and local governments close schools, bars, and restaurants in an escalation of social distancing policies aimed at containing the virus. But a surge in demand for products from chicken and beef to dry pasta at supermarkets have certainly left store shelves and meat cases empty, alarming consumers. And I have to say, the one hoarding I don't understand is toilet tissue, rolls of toilet paper. Did we not use toilet paper before the coronavirus? It sounds that way, the way the shelves of... uh, Toilet paper are empty at many stores and supermarkets. So as we look at the end of this week and the prices that we have seen, let's check the grain market first of all. Today we ended with May wheat at 5.39 and a quarter. That's up five cents a bushel for the day. And uh, the May corn contract ended down two and three quarters cents at 356 and three quarters. But May soybeans gained 20 cents for the day to close at $8.62 and a half cents. And what about livestock futures? Well, the uh, June lean hog contract ended the day down 55 cents a hundredweight at 67.95. The April live cattle futures up $4.40 to end the week at $99.50 a hundredweight. And the April feeder cattle contract today gained $5.37 to end the week at $118.82. Oh my, that's our time for this week, but there's another interesting week ahead, and we'll be back a week from now. We hope you will be too to uh, hear our reports here on The Markets.